Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This young generation, they really know their stuff. They know their background. Um, they know Joe Biden's background. When, when, and when you get on TV and you say, we're not going to defund the police at a Democratic primary, they know that that is opposition. Yet, many, including myself, will vote for Joe and then go move on after two days and go continue to fight Joe's policies. But more importantly, fight locally. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This is our pre-election episode, and we're talking to Deadspin's Chuck Modiano. Now, Chuck, in addition to being a great sports writer at the intersection of sports and politics, uh, is also somebody who is, in my mind, the great chronicler in D.C. of the movements against police violence. And we're going to speak to him about what's not getting media publicity here at the absolute fulcrum of politics in this country. Also, I've got some choice words about Trevor Lawrence's COVID diagnosis. I've also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards and more. But first, Chuck Modiano. Where am I catching you? I'm home. That's awesome, dude. I know you've been very busy. (laughs) Yeah, I've been out in the the, uh, protest last uh, four nights. Well, let's start right there. I mean, this is a podcast, so we're recording right now. Oh, great. And so, you know, just jumping right at you, Chuck, with this, um, look, everybody's talking about the elections, obviously, but in the streets of D.C., we're seeing a very different kind of politics. What are you seeing in this movement for black lives as it's taking place in the nation's capital? What's going on? Well, it's evolving every day for 154 days, maybe 155 days now. Protesters in D.C. have been in the streets post-George Floyd, post-Brianna Taylor, and fighting for a whole array of change from accountability, obviously uh, police officers who murder getting arrested, that's the obvious, but also changes like decreasing the budget of uh, Mayor Bowser of D.C. at a time where they're asking for increases, including a $43 million increase to pay for wasteful police overtime, which was used to over-police the protesters all summer. So we find that ridiculous. More recently, this week, a young man, Karan Hilton, was killed after being chased by an officer, Terrence Sutton, um, while he was on a moped. 
And the more you go deeper into this story, it stinks on many levels. And, and we can talk about that. And for the last four days, there have been protests outside of the 4th District precinct against his murder. The family has been out there last night. I'm speaking with both the mother and the father. They're both out there with protesters, family members out there with protesters and who, who, who are all supporting the family. And, um, you know, I think it was two nights ago, three nights ago in particular, it was met with tear gas. It was met with rubber bullets. It was met with liberal pepper spray, including the mother and the father have both been mm. pepper sprayed, including pepper spray inside a McDonald's on the corner in which babies were there. That has been the most egregious offense uh, thus far with children inside of McDonald's. So that's what's been happening in D.C. What political lessons do you draw and what political lessons do you feel like the protesters are drawing from the fact that, you know, this kind of repression, it's not being ordered from the White House. It's being ordered by our, you know, so-called liberal mayor, Muriel Bowser. I mean, what, what do you think that says to us? Well, I think all of the protesters are real clear that this oppression can come from any source. And the feeling in D.C. is that um, Mayor Bowser is a Republican um, and Democrat in name only, as a number of protesters have told me when I filmed them. And for those who don't know, Mayor Bowser endorsed uh, Michael Bloomberg. But more importantly, Mayor Bowser governs like Michael Bloomberg as far as stop and frisk policy, stop the, as far as overcharging, overpolicing um, protesters. But, but you know what? I don't want to make it about protests because the overcharging and overpolicing of protesters is simply an extension of what's happening in um in black communities but particularly like southeast and poor black communities in dc all the time that are going to live de dealing with stop and frisk all the time that are dealing with jump outs um all the time by undercover cops um so i think uh th there's a lesson in that trump is not go uh, getting rid of trump is not going to save us people know that and and we could talk about a distinction i think there is some distinction of fascism that that Trump brings to the table, we can talk about, and do I believe he needs to go? Yes, I do believe Trump needs to go. But I mean, the day after uh, if Trump were to go, the fight would have to continue in the streets if you want to stop any type of police oppression amongst other oppression. Now, uh, is there, is it believed that Mayor Bowser is the person ordering this kind of repression, or is it believed that the police are kind of like I don't know, a dog that's gotten loose from its chain and is pretty much doing what it wants because it, it, it operates independently of any sort of uh, political or elected authority? That's a great question, okay? And one we've wrestled with at different times. Um, and I think at different times, it, over the summer, it has been both, okay? So I've seen MPD up close, you know, and Lieutenant Bagshaw, not Peter Newsom is the head, but he is never visibly out there. Lieutenant Bagshaw is the guy who's out there. He dialogues with protesters all the time. When I come with a camera, he tends to get quiet. He'll talk to you off camera a lot of times. Um, and he'll say, oh, Chuck, Chuck's coming. And <laughs> he always does that. He'll talk to protesters. Oh, what is it now, Chuck? But he'll dialogue. And if you put the camera away, dialogue a lot more so you get to learn about him and and his leadership and a lot of times i think it's both 
there have been times I believe the MPD has gone rogue. And the reason I say that is they tend to do everything outside of media. So during June, when media would leave at two and three in the morning, which would be including me, I would go home and we'd hear reports that the tents were uh, and food supporters were brutalized at 3 a.m. And this was this repeated uh, occurrence, recurrence, I should say, of brutalization after media goes, the cat and mouse game. So I believe at times they acted on their own. And when you film them, I'm sure there are times that they had simply embarrassed Bowser. So that has happened. Then there are other times. And other times, um, most notably, there was a kettling of 41 individuals who were wrongfully arrested and jailed on August 14th and another one on August 31st of 14 people. Well, Mayor Bowser wrote a letter chastising the district attorney, Michael Sherwin, U.S. acting district attorney. I put U.S. so everyone understands that's Trump's people saying, I am dismayed you did not prosecute these 41 protesters hard enough. And that was the word she used, dismayed. And that was threw a lot of people off because we thought many, many people thought those 41 who had the charges dropped the next day was MPD acted crazy. And Bowser was like, you know, you know, let these people go. You just kettled 41 people arbitrarily and gave them felony riot charges when we know they weren't. Well, that wasn't the case. It, it turns out they she wanted to prosecute. And the U.S. acting attorney said, wait. We don't have enough evidence. Now, think about what I just said there, DZ. I just said Trump's people said, hold on there, Bowser. We don't have enough evidence to prosecute. So that's a weird dynamic, and people have a problem getting their minds wrapped around that. And But what had happened is once a meeting took place in early September after that letter, um, what Jackie Benson of NBC4 calls a meeting of the minds between Peter Newsham and Michael Sherwin, we saw people in those kettles getting recharged, who were never charged, getting recharged with assault on a police officer if an officer was hit by fireworks. Um, whether the individual hit that person with fireworks or not, we started to see inciting riot charges. We started to see individuals get up to 175 years, one individual in particular. So we're talking very serious charges, a whole array. We started to see home raids. One home raid and the three other homes being um, visited. And all this was happening very quietly in September. So it's difficult to answer your question, but I think the correct answer is both. Mm, great answer. Um, so obviously we've got the elections on Tuesday. This podcast posts Monday. So a lot of folks will be hearing this after Tuesday. Of course, the election vote counting will be going on after Tuesday. But I am curious, do you see a connection in the streets and what people are talking about in the streets, uh, trying to get justice for these individual cases in the DMV and the Biden-Trump elections? Is there any connective tissue there? Listen, <laughs> the pro no, there's no, listen, no one in the streets likes Joe Biden. I'm going to be very honest with you. That doesn't mean people in the streets won't vote for Joe Biden, whatever the percentage is. No one's going to vote for Trump. None of these protesters are going to vote for Trump. So let me just be clear about that part. Um, everyone who's voting for Biden is doing so reluctantly, is doing so in the name of lesser evilism. The people in the streets are very, very well-educated, 
on criminal justice policy, on political uh, 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 policy. This young generation, they really know their stuff. They know their background. Um, they know Joe Biden's background. When, when, and when you get on TV and you say, we're not going to defund the police at a Democratic primary, they know that that is opposition. Yet, many, including myself, will vote for Joe and then go move on after two days and go continue to fight Joe's policies. But more importantly, fight locally. I think what all the protesters realize is that change is going to happen locally no matter who is president. And we've seen some nuggets of change in Seattle with getting police out of the public schools, whether a little bit in New York where the incoming police class of a thousand were stopped, they're not going to come in anymore. Um, in Colorado, when qualified immunity was overturned, we've seen enough local nuggets to know that if people keep fighting locally, those nuggets can grow and be bigger. Mm. I'm sorry that that got that got a big mm right there. Uh, switching subjects here because we got you on to talk sports and politics, and I'm actually really glad that you went through that and spoke spoke about that because it's not getting publicity. You know, we've got people who listen to the show well beyond D.C., and and it's very important that they know what's going on here and what's supposed to be, you know, the capital of the United yeah, States. Well, yeah. I guess it is the capital. I shouldn't say supposed to be, but I hate giving it some capital C uh, derivation at times. Uh, so, Chuck, the World Series, what was You're your right. reaction when you heard that the Dodgers won? Let's start right there, first and foremost. <laughs> Well, I, I was, <laughs> this is weird. I was actually rooting for the Dodgers, you know. Um, I wanted both David Roberts, the manager, to get his ring off in Milan just by going pretty far in the postseason. And I wanted Clayton Kershaw to get a ring because I feel bad, you know, the generation's greatest pitcher um, who's, you know, we all know he's incredible in the regular season and his postseason mess-ups are well-documented. But part of that was also one of the World Series he lost that he could have won was when the Astros knew what pitch was coming. And I feel bad about that. There was an important game six. He could have closed it out. So really on the strength of both um, Dave Roberts and Kershaw in particular, I was rooting for the Dodgers. Mm, I got that. And you know, so much part of it was just like rooting for baseball history because it's still hard to get my head around the Tampa Bay Rays uh, as an organization. But then the Dodgers, this historic franchise, I mean, of course, we couldn't even get a chance to appreciate too much of the Dodgers, too much of Mookie Betts, too much of, you know, Vin Scully at age 92 getting to celebrate another Dodgers championship victory uh, right. because, of course, uh, COVID and Justin Turner. Uh, the third baseman being pulled out of the game in the eighth inning and then coming out uh, to celebrate, to hug his teammates, to hang out with Dave Roberts, who's a cancer survivor, uh, kissing his wife, all while, you know, corona positive. And so I got to ask you, who do, who do you blame for that? Is that a blaming Justin Turner moment? Do you blame Major League Baseball? Do you blame the Dodgers? Where do you think accountability lies? And I'm sure it's uh, maybe in a couple of different sources, but I guess in the aggregate, where do you put the most accountability? 
I think that's a good question because it's a little bit of all of the above, like you said. But I might put it on the Dodgers, and I say that is that I think you saw Justin Turner in the middle of a pack celebrating with zero inches of social distance. <laughs> so maybe what we see after they win tells us a little bit about the organization before they won. Hmm. Yeah, go on with that, please. I mean, did you, some people, though, have pointed out that with Justin Turner, you get the, a lot of entitlement there. You know, because right, Major right. League, and who knows if Major League Baseball is just trying to throw him under the proverbial bus. But Major League Baseball says that they tried to stop Justin Turner from taking the field, that they, in effect, ordered him to not go back on the field to celebrate with his teammates. And he was basically like, screw you, I'm going to be out there. Um, is, is this a story of entitlement? Is this a story of one of those things that only a, a player who's deemed as like this firebrand, you know, white guy who, you know, is the heart of the team and the pulse of the team and all the stuff they say about Justin Turner. Is this the, the thing that only he could get away with? First of all, that's that's legitimate that what you just put out, that is legitimate as well. And I may not have had all that the information that it's all Justin Turner. Um, well, that's there. what be really clear is that's what Major League Baseball is saying. And right. That could also be some serious ass covering on their part. And they've never been shy about throwing a player under the bus if they're in a PR crisis. Right. I mean, on some level, we don't know. Yes, you, there's always entitlement, uh, white male entitlement at, at stage. Um, you know, whether that is is just just in turn, it's hard to say. I mean, I want to give you a better answer that the answer is I just don't know the the dynamics of how much is it the team throwing him under the bus and how much is is Justin Turner and like you said earlier I think all factors supply here and I think it's one of those things too where and this is just so so I'd be public with my take sure is that uh, you know these are pro athletes you know and especially in moments like the World Series these are not rational actors the same way players want to take the field when they get concussions or the same way Ronnie Lott had, you know, had them cut his little finger off so he wouldn't miss a game. I mean, you have protocols in place to protect players from themselves. And so there's a huge part of me that doesn't fault Justin Turner from, from, for, you know, trying to leverage every aspect of his, you know, his, his station, his privilege, if you want to call it that, because he wants to be out on that field no matter what to celebrate with his teammates. Otherwise, what's it all for? Right. But that's exactly why you have protocols in place uh, in the first place. And obviously, Major League Baseball did not exercise their protocols in that in that area. Now, did Justin Turner like physically shoulder block his way onto the field? We don't know the answer to that. But it still seems like Major League Baseball has some questions they need to answer. Absolutely. So that's where I'm standing on that. And now the other thing I got to ask you at this intersection of sports and politics, Jack Nicholas, Bobby Orr, <laughs> Brett Favre, yeah. John Daly. Who am I forgetting here? Who am I forgetting? Mike, your, your boy, Mike Ditka. Oh, my boy, Mike Ditka. What, what, what does it say to you to see these old white sports legends coming out like the four the four horsemen of the apocalypse 
you know, the true pale white horse, if you will, yeah. coming out and endorsing Donald Trump here at the last moment. What, what does that say to you? And especially, I got to say, if you haven't seen this, with statements that clearly were written by the Trump campaign that only yeah. have a word or two of difference between them. I mean, the yeah. laziest yeah. kind of press releases from Jack Nicholas, from Bobby Orr, like just the, the self-defiling of these legends. What, what's your take on that? <laughs> My take is self-defiling. for sure listen i think you you sort of just touched upon that take and that take is i think trump's paying people i mean listen brett Favre has never had a political statement in in his life really and now he's coming out well for trump well you know maybe he's getting a a nice little um benefit from that because even if he is pro-trump why why jeopardize your standing as somebody who has always been marketable, even after um, incidents with dick pics? And I asked you before the show, so can I say dick pic? And you said yes. So I'm just going to yes. say dick pic for the third time right now and abuse that privilege. So we have stories like <laughs> that. That never hurt his standing um, in, in his uh, sexual harassment. His standing has never been hurt by by more recent um, semi scandals with uh, uh, taxes and and um, yeah, I'll let you talk about it. I'm looking for the correct word. But now he goes and he says, "I'm for Trump." Well, you're probably getting paid. I have to believe that. And if you're saying the statements all sound somewhat similar, this is sort of a desperate attempt to leverage, you know, athletes. And he's always been quite good at this. Trump has. He always has. And if this were a different time, um, like maybe 15 years ago, a Brett Favre endorsement would be huge. And when I was doing research uh, on Sports Illustrated covers and I did a tremendous amount of data research and looking which covers popped off and which didn't. On the NFL covers, when Favre was on the cover, the numbers jumped, sometimes doubled, and that he hit a chord with, you know, the Midwest America, white America, in ways Tom Brady never could, in ways Aaron Rodgers never could, in ways Peyton, well, Peyton Manning came the closest, but he hit a chord, cultural white chord, that I hadn't seen happen with other players. And this is 15 years ago. I would say that's really big. But his name has been damaged since then. He went to a bunch of different teams and was very selfish in how he dealt with every offseason, a couple semi-scandals, and he's been retired over 10 years. So it's a different, it has different meaning right now. Yeah, not the least of which those scandals, as you said, like him sending unwanted dick pics to a reporter. Uh, in an effort, I guess, at some Brett Favre seduction, uh, which, you know, which, I mean, frankly, he was lucky he did it when he did it before the age of Twitter, because I think he would have been roasted and canceled to an even greater degree. And also, you know, Jack Nicholas had got something like $20 million in tax breaks from Trump. There's some nasty story there. Mm -hmm. I mean, so this is much more to me about wealth and privilege circling the wagons for Donald Trump. I mean, listen, absolutely. Um, and you know, that is not limited. That's not limited to all white guys or if you, there are a number of, um, black multimillionaires and who, who are rappers who could save a whole lot of money. I think 50 cents, said something interesting. He doesn't like Trump. He said F Trump in the past. And then he's made a comment. Well, maybe I'll vote for him because I'm a multimillionaire and I'll save more money. So selfishness and greed 
you know, is very are very powerful things, whether you like the guy or not. Oh, that's some real talk right there. No doubt about it. Well, Chuck, I really do appreciate your time. Any last thoughts about the elections? I mean, I, I might as well ask, since you do have your ear to the street, what are people saying insofar as, I mean, or is there even a discussion about, like, what do you do if you feel like the election has just been stolen? Are people's heads in that space at all? And what do you have to say to our listeners right now who are concerned about the prospect of mass instability after this Tuesday? I think there's going to be mass instability either way, to be quite honest with you. I think that regardless of the outcome, there is going to be mass instability. Certainly if Trump wins, if Biden wins, and then I think more what you're talking about, if we don't know what the outcome is and it, it is uh, prolonged like uh, the year 2000 and or Trump just won't leave office. I am prepared and protesters have said they are prepared. Either way, protests are going to continue. Um, there's going to be instability around that. And of course, um, police oppression hasn't gone away. I want to throw in one more thing that has happened because you, I believe you said we had a global audience. There's been an NSARS movement in D.C., including today. There is a, a big protest or has been for days for the police in Nigeria called SARS, who've been brutally oppressive, even uh, some more oppressive than U.S. police. And in the sense that they shot protesters, they literally shot and killed people protesting in Nigeria. So that movement has made its way over here in, in America and in cities everywhere. And I got to interview a number of people last weekend. And what was interesting, a number of people said it's the same movement. We saw America um, protest uh, after George Floyd. In fact, we protested with you from Nigeria, and that helped us, inspired us, and, and mo helped mobilize us to do the same now. So this anti-police oppression, it is a global movement, and that is irrespective of whoever becomes president on Tuesday. Mm, very well said. Chuck, before you go, have you been listening to any music you want to share with us? What's been keeping you sane on a, on a lyrical or musical front? Wow, that's a great question. I, I haven't been listening to music unless something's going on and protests. I really, I haven't done too many leisure things outside of sports and protests and those two things really in the last few weeks. So I'm going to have a better answer for you next time. Hopefully. Ah, how about one musical person that you've ever liked in your entire life? Oh, wow. I, I like a ton, but I would have to say Stevie Wonder is the greatest artist of all time. And, and, and my argument has always been is that you could stick that man in any genre and he will dominate that genre. Even when he dips into different genres in his own music, he owns that, that space. So for me, Stevie Wonder is the greatest um, artist of all time. I'm glad you mentioned Stevie, actually, because I was listening just yesterday. It happened to be on the radio to Boogie on Reggae Woman. The harmonica solo that he pulls at the end. Let's play a little of that right now, uh, Mr. Tigaboo, our producer. That harmonica solo at the end, I mean, it's as good as any guitar solo. 
I mean, it's unbelievable. Anybody who thinks the harmonica can't be a standalone instrument in a soul, funk, rock genre, you just have to listen to how Stevie Wonder ends Boogie on Reggae Woman, man. It's unbelievably hot. It, it really is. It really is. That's the perfect way to end. Awesome. Uh, Chuck, man, be safe, okay? Keep your head thank up. You, if, and if thank you, you need sir. Place, hide out. Um, my attic is always here for you. <laughs> Don't make an offer that you can't follow up on, DZ. Dude, the attic is open. As long as, as, long as you uh, wear a mask and quarantine for a week, the attic is yours. All right, you got it. I won't go all Justin Turner on you. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's Chuck Modiano. You can read his stuff at Deadspin. Uh, he's also a terrific Twitter follow, an indispensable Twitter follow. Uh, this is Edge of Sports, the podcast. You could follow him at Chuck Modi one That's where you follow him. We'll be back right after this message from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We are having a festival of ideas taking place virtually from November 18th to the 21st. Four days of wide-ranging conversations, briefing sessions, and interviews in the wake of the most critical election of our lives. It will be featuring Senator Bernie Sanders, Naomi Klein, Michael Bennett, who I will be interviewing, Alicia Garza, and many more. Tickets are on sale at thenation.com slash nationfestival. Check it out. And now back to the show. We are back on Edge of Sports. I've now got some choice words. Okay, look, Donald Trump is running on the plank that he saved college football. He did so by recklessly applying presidential pressure to college football conference leaders to forget about COVID and take the field. After four years of Trumpian decay with little to justify re-election, the thinking was that bringing football back, especially to swing states in the Big Ten and ACC, would put him on a toboggan ride towards electoral college victory. It always seemed like an incredibly dubious prospect to people actually concerned about a virus that has claimed so many lives. Unlike professional basketball, where players could be put in a bubble, or pro football, where they could easily quarantine, college athletes would have more freedom, and college students, even if not allowed in the stadium, even if not allowed in their damn classes, would congregate to socialize, party, and feign normalcy in abnormal times. Sure enough, the reopening of colleges and college sports has led to a greater spread of the virus. Yet these stories have largely flown under the sports media radar. After all, who cares about the students? Players who have contracted the virus have also been disregarded by a sports media readier to analyze game film than call out this obscene negligence on behalf of not only this president, but people who are supposed to be educators. Yet this latest story could not be ignored by anyone. Trevor Lawrence, the blonde, long-haired quarterback for Clemson, the front-runner for the Heisman Trophy, the face of college football, has now been diagnosed with coronavirus. There are so many layers to this, it would take the Kardashians' army of manservants to unpack them all. But Trevor Lawrence, just 21 years old, really wanted to play this season. And powerful people in college football, the people who work in the shadows of this dirty, multi-billion dollar business, as well as the ones who are media stenographers for the powerful, elevated Lawrence's voice as if he wasn't a 21-year-old kid with an itch for football, but instead an authority like Dr. Fauci and shoulder pads. They swooned when Lawrence spoke out for the season to commence. They especially genuflected when he tweeted the following in August. Players are at just as much, if not more, risk if we don't play. 
Players will be sent home to their own communities where social distancing is highly unlikely and medical care and expenses will be placed on the families if they were to contract COVID-19. Not to mention the players coming from situations that are not good for them or their future and having to go back to that. Football is a safe haven for so many people. We are more likely to get the virus in everyday life than playing football, end quote. This argument mirrors and mimics the case that was being made by college football power brokers and it reeks of paternalism. The idea that players would be safer under the watchful eye of millionaire head coaches who surely have their best interests at heart rather than their communities, a place that conjures images of reckless, adult-free, impoverished hovels. But Clemson isn't Boys Town and Coach Dabo Sweeney isn't Father Flanagan. Even under the selfless protection of his coach, whose salary is $9.3 million per year before bonuses, Trevor Lawrence has the Rona. The people in power who use this 21-year-old as a stalking horse for their own profit mode to be cloaked in shame. The people deeming unpaid college athletes as essential workers, even though they don't get paid, should share that shame. Hell, the people who over a generation have set up college football as the tentpole of the modern neoliberal campus and put this sport with all its deleterious effects on the brain and body at the heart of the social, economic, and cultural life of our campuses should choke on their shame like it's smog. As for Trevor Lawrence, he should forget about Clemson, forget about the Heisman Trophy, heal up, and get ready to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Instead, he is already getting prepared for Clemson's game a week from Saturday against Notre Dame, telling everyone he is symptom-free. This isn't Trevor Lawrence's fault. He's 21, for goodness sakes. If you are searching for blame, you have to look on the sidelines, look in the offices of university presidents, and look at a system that sees college athletes as expendable commodities, even the stars with the long blonde hair. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award this week goes to an internationally renowned soccer star named Marcus Rashford. He's only 23 years old, and he is feeding the hungry children of the UK because the UK's government will not. Marcus Rashford, the Man U soccer player, has gone on a campaign to make sure that during this period of coronavirus, the hungry children of the UK are actually eating. Uh, He has raised food for over 4 million kids, and he has gone public to shame the Boris Johnson government to extend even more food aid throughout uh, the country, not just in Manchester. There's a terrific article out about Marcus Rashford and these efforts by Leander Charlakins, who's a terrific writer. Uh, People should check it out. I've put the article out on the Edge of Sports uh, Twitter feed, but definitely 
Marcus Rashford, uh, the Just Stand Up Award, taking this period of COVID to not just tell people to get out and vote, but actually confronting the fact that in his country, and that's just like the United States, there are a lot of people who are food deprived and he's out there to make sure that they actually get fed and that that's seen as a responsibility. It's not just charity, but that it's seen as a responsibility by the government, which is certainly something that we've lost here in the United States. The Just Hit Your Ass Down Award goes to something we talked about with Chuck Modiano. It's old ass millionaire ex-athletes for Donald Trump. Bobby Orr, Jack Nicholas, Brett Favre, John Daly. I mean, seriously, it's it's like the, the the Voltron of millionaire white guys coming together to try to reelect to this person who's got so much blood and death on his hands. So old ass millionaire ex-athletes for Trump, please sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much to Chuck Modiano for being with us. Thank you so much to the producer of this podcast, David Tigaboo. I want to ask everybody out there to please find yourself in a place that's safe during this election week. We don't know what's going to be going out there in these streets. Just remember, be safe, wear your mask, stay frosty, and we'll talk next week. We are out of here. Peace.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.